0: Welcome to the musician's journey. My name is Ragnhild, I'm a cellist, residing in Stockholm, Sweden. Being a freelance musician today is a lot of fun, but it involves countless factors and skills that have come as uh, surprises, at least for me, so (laughs) I like to talk with other musicians and hear how they do things so that I feel less alone in my battling with software and taxes and so on. One of the projects that I'm enjoying developing these days is a cello chorus online with videos. I don't know if I should call it a chorus, it's more of a space for learning. If you're curious about that, if you have a cello lying around that you don't know what to do with, You can read more on my website, ragnhildvesenberg.com, and there is a link to that in the show notes. I know my name is pretty hard for those who are not from Norway. (laughs) Apart from my online learning space, I've put my energy into teaching and rehearsing and gigging. And something that has been helpful for me as someone who works a lot on my own, own at home is an online community of freelancers and entrepreneurs where we support each other with each other's various projects it's called the box and you can read more at theboxworkshop.com and with the code cello, C-E-L-L-O you'll get 30 percent of your first month if you want to inspire me to keep on making this podcast, I, I will do it anyway. But you're welcome to buy me a coffee through my page on kofi.com, k-o-hyphen or dash, fi i slash the musicians journey podcast There's a link to that in the show notes as well. And now over to today's conversation with Wilma Pistorius. If you have the space for it, you can block off the next hour right now and go back and forth between the interview and the links in the description of this episode. Because Wilma mentions several different pieces of hers that have corresponding videos on YouTube. So, enjoy! It is interesting as cello teachers that we have to do... You have to compromise on style. Yeah... Because the type of music that you write when you write music the way you want is perhaps not the type of music that an 11-year-old would like to play or can play. Probably not. (laughs) Probably not.
1: Although I have this dream of making a method of playing contemporary music for amateurs that sort of teaches them how to... People who cannot play the instrument very well... To sort of teach them about the language of new music and maybe invites them to explore and have fun and be creative with some funky techniques and stuff which would involve having some pieces written but that's something for the future (laughs) but for now yeah yeah mostly it's very simple things but i quite like that also it's like things that they can understand kids You know, although kids can also be very open for weird music. (laughs) I had this four-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old. I think he was four, four, and then he turned five for cello lessons, who was extremely very energetic and very naughty also. And he had some, I realized he had some sort of dyslexia, so he couldn't really read the notes because they would just be like, I don't know, they they would either look the same or they would be all over the stuff. Uh, But then we came up with this really smart thing of color coding the notes. So A would be red and D would be green or whatever. The color of the bottom, you know, there's always the color on the bottom of the string. So it would match, Uh, which is very confusing for me because I think his A string was blue and with my, like, sort of synesthesia, A is red, and the new one saying A is blue is almost painful. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, they had colors, they were the wrong colors, but they were good for him. So then we color-coded the notes, and then I started making songs for him, because the songs in his book, the book only had, like, five songs with open strings, and you really couldn't do the left hand. So I just wrote some for him, and then color-coded them, and then he was like, but, maybe I can make the next bit and so the lessons ended up being uh, writing his own songs and he was super into that when he was playing his own songs he could fully concentrate for 10 minutes which was quite something <laughs> yeah. so that was fun but with everyone else it's more like uh, yeah, conventional classical things or children's songs which is very simple things although there are people who are playing Hindemith which is nice yeah. Or the the duos by Bartok for two cellos, which are also quite funky. And the duos by Kodai for two cellos, which are also quite modern. Although they're from a hundred years ago, but still <laughs>
0: <laughs> But not,
1: not my own music. Yeah. That's cool because it's oh, it all it dual has its own place.
0: Yeah. It's so funny, this word modern, because we kind of know what it means, but when we start thinking about it, uh, modern now could be, you know, Verklechte by Schönberg could be modern, but it was written 120 something years ago. So it's It like, yeah, is really strange. It is a bit strange. If you think about where the world was in 1910.
1: That's very different from where the world is now.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And yet we still sort of group it. I mean, maybe we don't. I think people who don't know very much about new music they tend to group it. Everything that's not tonal anymore is modern. And everything else is
0: classical. Right, Yeah, <laughs> Or something
1: like this.
0: Something like that, exactly. But, yeah. yeah. But uh, Wilma, how do you... Feel today. How, what do you feel like talking about today? Do you want to introduce yourself? I could do that. Yes, I'm Vilma Pistorius, and I live in Amsterdam.
1: I'm a composer and a cellist and a cello teacher and an Alexander Technique teacher. That's what I do. <laughs> and what I enjoy is going for walks and reading things and writing letters, amongst others to Ragnar. Yes. And enjoying hot beverages. And looking at the birds out the window. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Yeah. I thought I could tell you about my uh, project, which is just sort of coming to life. Of a piece I wrote uh, a year ago. Exactly a year ago, I was busy with that. Last autumn. It's a piece for toy pianos for Anne Weinberg, who you know.
0: Yeah.
1: A pianist who is very adventurous and has a collection of toy pianos. And I saw her performing... Once in this festival called Toots des Tides, which is a keyboard festival. And they tried to use all the keyboard instruments from the spinet to the toy piano. <laughs> and she played this toy piano piece. And so I thought I want to do that too, because the toy piano in itself is very playful. And I like incorporating the element of playfulness into my music to make it less serious, I'd say. <laughs> Although it's still sincere. <laughs> so... I wrote a piece for her for toy piano that has two different toy pianos and two music boxes that are not the, you have two kinds of music box. There's one that's, I think, 14 tones, so it has two octaves of diatonic, so just basically the major scale twice. And then there's the 30-tone music box, which has a very long, relatively long form music box, chromatic range. And it goes pretty low. It goes to like the F that you would play on the lowest string of the cello. Huh. So it's wow. like really low for such an instrument.
0: And and a music box. What's that? You know, it's like this little thing that you turn, and then it plays a tune. So a little. Uh, so now uh, on the screen, Wilma is uh, holding a little box in the air, a little air I'm holding box. Holding a little box in a, in and a. And. There's a little handle. You should Google Music Box Yeah, okay. Search for Google Box. Mm. No, uh, search for Music, music box. box. Did I say Google Box? Uh, music Box. Yes. Okay, sorry. It's very cool because you can... Uh, it has a...
1: You need to actually make a lot by hand with the Music Box. So it's like this little metal thing that has a handle that you turn. And the metal thing has different pins in the inside. And each pin is for tone. And it's a bit like the pianola, you know, the piano that plays itself. Except the music box, you need to turn it by hand. But the actual notes are produced by the mechanism. And you tell the mechanism what to do by putting this long roll of paper into the music box. And the roll of paper has lots of lines, like horizontal. Imagine a music staff with 30 lines. And each line represents a pitch. And when this roll of paper goes into the music box where there's a hole punched through the line, the pin in the music box will produce that note. So it's quite a lot of work by hand. Imagine you have this really long roll of paper and then you need to draw the correct notes on it. And then you have a special punch. So you have to punch the holes in the paper and then you put the paper in the music box and then you turn it and then it plays the notes that you told it to. It's kind of like analog. Computer programming <laughs> and very nice to do, but you have to really pay attention. So, it's got two music boxes one is mounted on the toy piano so that the pianist turns it, and the other music box is played by the performance assistant, which is in this case me or an audience member. So, the piece is called Secret Compartment. Uh, I'll send you a link so you can include a link to the trailer. Yeah, because uh, we have a trailer. On YouTube with a little bit of the music and you can see the music box and the toy pianos um, and the piece is inspired by well the music of John Cage and the aesthetics of Zen Buddhism and calligraphy also on one hand and on the other hand it's inspired by Messier objects which are uh, Messier was a French astronomer and he made a catalogue of astronomical objects so you can imagine something like a star cluster or a nebula or like stuff in space that you can easily see with a not very good telescope. Some even with like binoculars that you use to look at birds. So if you are an amateur astronomer and you have a small telescope then the Messier objects are fairly easy to spot. So they're like people who collect them and they Yeah, they try to see all of them in their lifetime. (laughs) Mm. But these Messier objects are very beautiful. You could, for example, look up the Swan Nebula or the Orion Nebula. That's a cluster of stars around one of the stars in Orion's belt that we've probably all seen. So I just used the visual image of these objects in space to inspire pitch material, so like For example, this one nebula I translated into a chord. The Orion Nebula became a chord. And so there are five chords in the piece that have all got their own star cluster. And yeah, so it's got this kind of mysterious dark night looking at stars' atmosphere. And the piece is about 10 minutes long. And it's got six sections. Three of them are fixed in place. And the other three have a free order. Uh, So a little bit like the music of John Cage that you could mix and match what you want to do when. And some chance elements will determine the order of the parts. And I won't say what it is because that's a surprise. (laughs) And there's also some improvisation. And uh, I will do some fun things like throwing ping pong balls in the piano or taking surprise objects out of the piano and throwing them on the floor during the performance just as little theatrical touch so that's fun, I wrote it last year and now we're sort of putting it together and
0: finding places to play it It looks like you have so many projects that are not just in the form of your research and sheet music but actually with performances happening and uh, it seems like it's really kicked off the past year when it comes to how many projects that are actually, uh, that actually come into life. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, you mean like getting performed or you mean like
1: more than music only?
0: I mean the the number of projects and the number of performances, it's really, you seem busier now with these things than yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely can you say something about why you know the 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 way there how do you get to that place good question i spent
1: a long time trying to figure out how do you make connections in the music world because it seems like a lot of having work depends on having connections and knowing people and when i was studying i did to main subject at the same time, cello and Composition in two different schools. So I had to travel a lot and I just had no time for any socializing. <laughs> and so I didn't meet people and I didn't make connections. That turns out is fundamental for having work. And so I, yeah, I didn't really know how, how to do this, how to go about it, especially since I'm not a very extroverted person. So I don't just go places and socialize in my free time. I like to be at home on the sofa and do nothing or, you know, read stuff. So, yeah, but over the years I kind of worked out that it's the, it just takes time to build up a network and it really helps to go to concerts of people you find interesting and just talk to them and go, Hey, that was really cool. And also having a sort of online presence helps, you know, having a Instagram account or something and just, posting about stuff that I find interesting or that I'm doing or just like pictures of my work just to, so that people see that you exist. And I realized that building a working relationship with someone like with a specific person who you don't know, is also a bit like building a friendship or yeah, I wouldn't say a romantic relationship, but if you see someone you fancy and you want to date with them, you know, Okay. I guess nowadays you can just ask them like, Hey, do you want to date? Or, you know, if you see some professional who you really admire, you could, Hey, do you want to work together? But they don't immediately say yes. You have to sort of court, <laughs> <laughs> court working relationships and take time. And you need to be persistent and you just need to continue emailing them. And being, hey, I'm doing this. Would you like to come? And even if they don't come, the fact that you invited them is already helpful. So just like, yeah. Being persistent and remembering that everything you do helps, even though you don't immediately see the result, because it's going to be very discouraging when you don't hear back from people. <laughs> but I think it also helps once you sort of get the ball rolling. Then your name's out there more, and then people have heard of you, and then they're more likely to reply to email. And it's sort of at a certain point, it sort of starts moving. It's not really moving very fast yet, but for me, that it's sort of starting to get there. So that's very exciting. And I think what also really helped for me was, yeah, having like, I had this project last year. Was it last year? Yes. This music theater piece we did called 40 ways of being a woman for cello, organ, soprano and electronics. And that gave me a a good boost because we did it in Gaudiamis and in Orgelpark in Amsterdam, which are good venues and they have a good name and they do good PR so people know that you are doing your thing. And someone else had organized a project and asked me to join because the other composer had, I think, stopped replying or wasn't doing it. So I sort of had to step in on short notice and write Mm -hmm. half an hour of music, which was very fun, also a challenge, but very nice to do. And that was a good, like, sort of putting me on the map, you know, after all the years of work I'd already done before that. And then after that, I had this project called Play Space for two musicians with audience participation, very elaborate audience participation. And I did a lot of PR for that. So, like, getting in touch with radio and asking them to say something about it and off of 10 people I emailed, two of them responded and did a little interview. Uh, One on this late night program on the Classical Music Channel on Radio Fear in Holland. And another one on the internet radio station run by volunteers, the Concert Center. We broadcast a lot of concerts and they did a little interview with me about the project and played some of my music. And I think that also really helped to just alert people of my existence so I think yeah it helps if you have like a project that you can promote then you know you're not promoting yourself but you're promoting the work
0: hmm. what
1: you're doing and that's just easier
0: what other type of PR did you do good question so
1: yeah actually I the playspace project was what got me into making content because I Hadn- I didn't have a very big PR plan and the fund who subsidized uh gave us a subsidy the Amsterdamse Fonds voor de Kunst told me in their feedback when they said we are funding you but you need to spend more attention on PR and so I was like okay what can I do and I did this sort of making of and I posted two week- two times a week on Instagram a little video about the piece, and we had all these school recorders, for example. So then we made a little one-minute video about the contrabass recorder, and a little one-minute video about the contrabass band flute, or a little video in which we talked about one element of the audience participation. And I find it very difficult to make these videos by myself. If I'm just talking at the camera, it's like I do it over twenty times, and <laughs> I'm still not happy with it. But doing it together with the musicians in the rehearsal, we were just sort of having fun and making a little documentary about what we're doing. And I found that a very good way of using social media I'm sort of behind the scenes, look, this is the creative process. This is how we're working, uh, instead of it being really personal about me. Cause I previously thought that social media was something personal, which it sort of is, but it doesn't have to be about your personal life. So that was a lot of the PR I did was making little content things and sharing them and that really helped, I think. And we also had some like, just specific paid, ad- specific paid ads, but those are, you never really know what happens with them. Mm. So I think mainly, yeah, like content and radio was mm. the main things that really mm. helped. And yeah, a my publisher also, their name is, they have a website where they put all the events of their composers or the composers who they, Represent, and they have like a newsletter, and a lot of people get that, so that also helped,
0: I think. But it, it's really important what, what the venue itself, like what kind of uh, audience the venue itself has, because some venues has a very loyal audience, and I guess that's the that's the most effective way, I guess, to get audience to something, instead of having to. <laughs> like, build an audience oneself. It's uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, that was actually the most big part of the audience comes from the venue. That's yeah. totally true. Yeah, I forgot to mention. <laughs> <laughs> we had this very nice performance of PlaySpace just in October. I mean, the whole project was March and April last year, but we had one more concert in October in Zutphen in the nor- southeast of Holland. Sort of on the way to Germany and uh, not a very big city. It's got a very nice sort of rural vibe while still being a town. Or maybe it's even a city, I'm not sure. And um, we played in this venue that's sort of an it's a combination between a concert space and doing art exhibitions, Dat bulwark, it's called. And we played in the Museum Nacht, which was very fun. And the Museum Nacht is Once a year, in some cities, museums are open, not all night, but maybe until midnight or until 2 a.m. or like late. And then they have little events happening in the museums. And it was the very first time that they did Museum Nacht in Zutphen. So we played at nine o'clock in the evening, which was already after dark because it was October. And I wasn't sure how the audience would be because it's not Amsterdam, so... I mean, in Amsterdam, people are always up for stuff and they're very open. And if you play in a different city, that's maybe less cosmopolitan. You're never really sure. But it was the best audience we'd had so far. They were super fun and super up for everything and really active. And there was just this really, really nice atmosphere in the city because it was the first time that they were having this event. And uh, something out of the ordinary was happening. And it was like a festival, but for normal people it was very fun and like little lights and music coming out of buildings that are normally shut and people with their children going to do something fun and that was really cool so yeah that also gave us a big audience because they did a lot of PR just from the event
0: mm. and
1: that definitely helped
0: yeah and what's next for you now all you told me about this uh, toy piano piece apart from that oh yeah
1: at the moment, I'm doing just some boring work of preparing scores for the publisher, like fixing some little layout things that just has had to happen for ages, and I finally have the time for it. But um, in December, I will start to write something new that has to be finished before the end of the year. So it's just a little project for one month. It's uh, I will not say very much about the content because it's for... Uh, Competition of songs for voice and piano for children between the age of six and 16 uh, for a uh, foundation in Finland that promotes new music for young people. And uh, in Finland, they have this really awesome tradition where if you play an instrument, you play also contemporary music from the very start. So, really adventurous musicians you get from that. So It has to be submitted anonymous, so I can't say anything about the content, but it has to be a song for voice and piano of five minutes uh, for children who are amateurs. And a friend of mine is writing the text. And it's going to be very nice to do that. Hmm. And then after that, I will write a piece for five-string cello for the cello biennale, which is very exciting, uh, to be performed by, by my former teacher, Jeroen den Herder. And yeah, there's a five-string cello. It's got a low F or a high E, you can decide. Obviously, before you put strings on. Ah,
0: right. And I really have
1: to go and play on it. Yeah, It's a little bit different play, apparently, because the strings are a little closer together. I think it's possible that the fingerboard is less round and a little bit more flat, more like sort of in the direction of Kamba. But it's still like totally cello. But it's apparently confusing to play if you're just coming from the cello because your whole motor skills are not quite Not quite working. Right. It's like, yeah, speaking yeah. Dutch and
0: then learning German or <laughs> yeah, something like that. And the cello biennale, what's that? Ha, what's that? Every
1: two years, there's a big cello festival in Amsterdam. Oh, of like... One week, one week and a half. And it has a lot of concerts and masterclasses and they have a concours also. And it's like the get-together for cellists from around the world uh, here in Amsterdam. And it's been going since 2006, I think. Next year it will be the 10th edition. It's possible the first one was 2004. I'm not sure. 2006 yeah, anyway. It will be the 10th edition. So they've gotten really big over the years. And yeah, I got them to give me a commission. So mm-hmm. that's very nice.
0: Yeah.
1: It will be in a concert together with like romantic music by Brahms and Schumann. Schumann, Schubert, Brahms. And then a piece by me, which will be the first in the program while everyone is still fresh <laughs> and awake. <laughs> So next year I will dive into the five-string cello and see what's up with that. Cool. Yeah.
0: Exciting. Any thoughts on the five-string cello coming from you? Any thoughts on the five-string cello? I just know I've seen that Lewis and Clark in the U.S. have made a carbon fiber five-string cello. And it's kind of red-ish. It looks really pretty. But I have never played one myself i'm actually like i'm so content with what i already have i don't have this gear acquisition syndrome or anything remotely similar to that i i don't want to really research how i can make one of my cellos sound better or different for me it's just enough to to play with the cellos that I already have and to even play the music that's laying around already like I, I can't even find enough time for that so it's really hard to even think about adding even more to what's already there um, I can still just come back to a C major scale and that's perfect for me on my conventional cello but uh, a lot of people are more adventurous and curious and like to add more instruments to what they're already playing and to add more knowledge and to explore a lot more. And that's really cool, uh, but I'm not that myself. I have the same.
1: I have the same I'm like I'm a very monogamous musician like I have one cello, and I love it very much. And I have two bows. I have a modern bow and a baroque bow. And I sometimes use the baroque bow when I play Bach, just cause it's not easier, but it just, it works better for me. And I have an electric cello somewhere in the cupboard, but it's not a very good one. So it's not super comfortable to play. It's good sometimes if my boyfriend is working night shifts and sleeping in the day and I have a concert and I really want to just like repeat the notes. But even then, it's so different to play it that it's not really, uh, it helps, I guess. But I don't know. I just really like my cello, my real normal acoustic wooden cello. And there have been times when I tried other instruments, like at the time in my life when I wanted to travel more and the cello is too big to take along in the plane. I got a sas, the Turkish this guitar, not guitar, but it's like you hold it like sort of like a guitar and it sounds, and it was nice for a bit, but I could never really get it to work well. And earlier in my life, I had a, briefly had a bass guitar and I just tuned it like a cello so that I could just have the left hand working, yeah. and that was also really fun. And I thought, well, if I practice a lot, I can get good at this, but I'm already sort of good at the cello, so why bother? Mm. <laughs> yeah. mm. Which is uh, nice, but yeah. I do research other instruments a lot for composing, although I don't play them. I like, you know, study scores and see what's possible or ask people questions we're good at. For example, the clarinet and go, can you do this? Can you do that? How does that sound? And that's fun, because then you can sort of get to know other instruments and experiment with them a bit, but I don't play them. (laughs) And,
0: um, yeah. But I have actually recently made my singing debut. (laughs) Yes, I saw that. It sounded beautiful. I just have to say that. It was in Zutphen as well, right? This was in Zutphen, yes. Yeah,
1: I have had four singing lessons this year. It was It's a birthday present for my boyfriend. My birthday is in January, and since January I only managed to have four singing lessons due to being busy or away. And now my singing teacher is pregnant, so we will only meet in the new year. But still, it was useful to have an idea of how to just, like, kind of approach the voice. And I wrote this little piece for two cellos and... Piano, toy piano, the pianist has a piano and the toy piano. And it has a voice part. It was an arrangement of a piece I wrote during lockdown in 2020. And yeah, somebody had to do the voice part and it didn't seem like anyone else was going to do it. So I volunteered (laughs) and it was a bit like, oh no, now I have to sing in front of other people, which I'd never done except for like singing in a choir in primary school and conservatory, but that's a choir. So that's different. Uh, So I had to sing in front of other people and an audience. And it was funny because it was like, okay, if this doesn't work out, then I'll be really screwed and it'll be really bad. So it has to work. And so it worked and it was really nice. And I did it twice to concerts and I wouldn't call myself a singer, but uh, yeah, it was okay. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's quite
1: nice to explore.
0: So instrumentally, you're non-monogamous on paper.
1: <laughs> absolutely, yes, absolutely.
0: But it it pretty much ends on the paper. Yeah, you're like a, a an instrumentally non-monogamous voyeur.
1: Ha! <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> yes, very true. Yeah,
1: or a, or a porn director. <laughs>
0: I mean, it it feels really intimate to play music with other people. It's so intimate that I I feel like it's something that we never really talk about, just because it it can then start to feel a bit awkward. But like making music with other people is, yeah, it's very special. It really,
1: yeah. And I think if you're playing a difficult piece at first, you're just like focused on getting the notes right and getting the notes together and getting the piece to work. But if you get kind of beyond that phase, then it's very much a meeting of personalities and just the way you interpret the music, you really have to meet each other and you very much affect each other. And it's nice if you can have this synergy where you both bring something to it or more than two people, maybe three or four, you'll bring something to it and it becomes something else
0: that's this really magical moment mm. it's playing together. I'm now uh, teaching a couple of groups of adult cellists at a beginner level, kind of, and what I really like to do there is to make up improvisation concepts for us uh, so that no one has to decipher any sheet music and there is not any tension that comes from wanting to avoid playing the wrong note or something like that or the wrong rhythm. So to just free everyone from those burdens so to say and even if we just all improvising on open strings together like that's the very the the most simple concept I have and it's really nice to just get started that everyone is just playing open strings exactly the way they want a little quiet loud changing strings like just feeling into it even that feels really intimate and after a minute of that when we stop it's like okay we all We all know each other now. You know, it's like we've all met at this higher... No, I'm not going to say higher. I'm going to say different level of of coexisting with each other. It's very special. Yeah. I think it's very cool when you get people to improvise
1: because you don't have the sheet music. It's not in the way. And people have so much more they can do than... That any, well, I can know as a composer or even as their teacher. Everyone has this sort of special skill, whether it's playing the instrument really well or being an awesome mathematician or, you know, whatever. And it's really cool if you can give space for that to come out and not only be very fixed on notes. But like, I also really like including improvisations in composed pieces. you just give a little bit of i usually just give a scale for the pitches so that it kind of matches up with other instruments and then giving a task or a direction because uh, someone gave me the very good tip that if you get trained classical musicians to improvise we are very focused on tone and making a nice sound and we will then just play nice sound and enjoy the sound while maybe the improvisation doesn't really have a direction. And so to give it more direction, I give them a task. So the task is, for example, try to disturb the other musicians or play with contrast between long and short notes or something. like this. Is really a concrete task that they can just be creative with. And that's really fun. Mm. And it's really cool how... I uh, like this Mandarin piece, the one that I sung in. We performed it twice. Um, so it has cello one, cello two and piano. Cello two was me, it was the same at both concerts. The pianist was the same. But the first cello is different. And the first cello and the piano have a little improvisation. So this improvisation was done by different cellists in two concerts. Like two days apart. And it was really cool to see how these two different cellists just did a very different improvisation. Like, you can tell a lot about a person about just like the way they the way they play with musical material and the way they interact with other inter- musicians. It's so yeah. fun. Yeah. It's very cool. I think it's a very direct way of expressing
0: ourselves. So definitely intimate. Yeah. Like the music you write is... It's not wrong to call it rhythmically complex, is it? No, No. Not at all. Like, there is a lot of thinking involved when playing your music. You use a lot of quintuplets and subtuplets and similar, similar things. Do you then find that it's harder to find performers for your music who get beyond that stage of simply having to think of how to execute the notes? So far, not really. I mean, usually the people
1: playing it are able to do that. And if they're not, then I know that beforehand. And then I tend to keep it a bit more simple. But what I want to achieve with this, I mean, the reason why it is rhythmically complex is because I want to get away from the playing on the beat so that it sounds more like it's improvised. And... Inspired by, for instance, Indian ragas, that's very much all over the place. Um, So sort of playing around the beat and then sometimes going on the beat and then not being on the beat, that's sort of more fluid approach to rhythm. But when you notate it, it's going to be precise. So I think once you get it in your system, then it sort of makes intuitive sense. Not that I write it very mathematically, and then you have to make something human out of a not very human system. But once it sort of flows, it sounds natural, and I think it feels natural to play. But if I write for amateurs, then it's definitely less complicated. Or I just write squiggles like this and go follow the curve and make a melody.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Again, be a bit more in the direction of improvisation.
0: Yeah. That's really nice. I like that type of notation. Uh, yeah. Squiggles. Squiggles. Too. Squiggles. Yeah. A bit. Mm. Now, today is a Wednesday. Does that mean anything to you, freelance, the freelance musician that you are? Does Wednesday mean anything?
1: Yes, Wednesday is my cello teaching day. Mm. One of my teaching days, but it's the biggest one. So yeah. I will have six lessons today. Wow. That's quite a lot. Not back to back, so two and then a very
0: long break and then four back to back. Wednesdays our teaching day. Yeah. That, that's enough for one day. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> yes. And in between, I have like a two hour break. So then I like to go out for a walk, maybe get a coffee do a little walk through the park and just empty my head a bit yeah but i don't know when i'm teaching it just time flies even if there are four students in a row everyone's so different you can yeah. just like zoom in on every person and it's
0: fascinating are you open to taking even more students now yeah? maybe one or two not maybe one many or two.
1: One, but
0: maybe one or two
1: yeah I'm trying to get the balance more to being more 50 50 with teaching and composing so that I really have good time reserved for writing only. So I have to be more strict with how I structure my teaching practice, but it's nice to be at that stage. But you know, people come and go, and especially now people are sick or in the summer people are on holiday. So it's good to have a lot of students so that I don't have to worry too much if, you know, three people cancel <laughs> or so. But I'd say nearly full, but not quite. So if you want a jello teacher in Amsterdam, look me up.
0: (laughs) Yes. And you also teach in Utrecht, right? Yeah, I do. On Saturdays. Very cute the studio and also almost full there. So that's nice. Cool. I wish you all the best with all these lessons today. I know you're very good at taking care of yourself. So I'm not worried about you. But I know it's a lot i think it's a lot to have as many as three lessons in one day i feel like the there is like a a border there for me a line (laughs) so six is pretty hardcore yes six is the max that's the max okay and if people want to see what you're doing they can find you on instagram and on youtube and your website right yes absolutely nice yeah nice talking to you nice to see you nice to see you too and it's so nice to see you much more often now that you're posting on instagram same Mm. yeah same (laughs) it's fun to make something valuable out of instagram like it can become this really creative fun tool
1: yes definitely
0: yeah thank you for being here
1: My pleasure.
0: Talk soon. Thanks for listening. If you want to leave a comment or a question to do with this conversation, you can do so on my website, ragnilvesenberg.com. There is, yeah, the podcast is there. You can click on any episode and write a comment. And if you want to see what Wilma is up to, she's being creative with her Instagram content. And her homepage on the web is wilmapistorius.com. I'm happy you are here. Take care.